listening to a message from Park Springs Bible Church, located in Arlington, Texas, where we discover life in the power of God's grace and share His life-changing grace with others. Join us as we hear from the Word. Silence is deafening. All right, you're just like, well, I was waiting for something, and then all of a sudden. Well, anyway, welcome to Park Springs Bible Church this morning. We are grateful that you're here this morning. We're continuing our journey through the book of Romans, as Jared had mentioned. We've got a few more weeks left, and, and if, if I'm honest, I think Paul's been uh, ramping up or notching up uh, the analysis of Christian community. I think the subject today is primarily about the church. I think what he's doing is narrowing the focus, and he's communicated consistently throughout chapter one all the way through about uh, kind of the, the global challenges and how people view God and how we view ourselves and sin and separation from God and all of those challenges that continue to mount up as we think about being a faithful, honorable Christian in a broken secular world. And, and I think that that's been really helpful for us to just anchor ourselves and remind ourselves with some utter regularity the importance of seeking the truth of Christ in the midst of his work in our lives in a, in a world that, that might be in opposition or adversarial to the Christian message. Right? We're communicating about the essentials of the gospel and what it means to place your faith in Jesus Christ and knowing that in the midst of our struggles and the challenges that we face, that God has uh, opened the door and invited us into an intimate relationship with him and that there's a, a constant moving and transforming and changing of our lives in so many different ways that even in the challenges that you and I face, we can seek the truth and the grace of Jesus Christ to be that which changes us. And we've even come to the place of admitting that we need change. That there are things that just aren't necessarily operating the way that God had intended them to. And so there's a, a level of a calling of a confession of sin and an, an openness to, to having God uh, change us and, and receive his grace in, in real and remarkable ways. That no one is too far from the reaches of the truth of the gospel. There's this, this pastoral compassion that uh, is continued to be exhibited by Paul to a church in Rome, a church that he never visited. When he wrote this letter, he just knew that there were Christians that were struggling in a very difficult and secular environment. They are figuring out how to live out their faith and what it meant to be accused and even um, you know, uh, forced into positions and places where they felt like that everyone was against them and they were being persecuted in, in numerous ways, what it meant for them to be faithful. And so there's so many components of encouragement in the book of Romans to live faithful lives in the midst of opposition in the world. This, Romans 14, is not encouragement. And, and I mean that seriously. He, he narrows the focus, and there really becomes this sort of pastoral admonishment, or I want to say encouragement, but it's really a directed conviction to the church as a whole. 
And he uses very startling words, very specific things that he's addressing. And, and so although some of the things might feel like they're difficult to relate to, not the least of which, he's talking about how we handle food, sacrifice to idols, and whether one day is more important than the other, that those are avenues, conduits, to help expose the motives of people's hearts. I've been really focused a lot in reading, kind of on my casual reading time, a lot of military literature. And I've just I loved uh, reading stories of Navy SEALs and different things like that. And one of the words they use on a consistent basis is they call it a um, target-rich environment. So they end up going into these places where there's a lot of targets or threats and high-value targets, and, and there's a lot of, they have an expectation there's going to be a lot of action because this is a target-rich environment. I think that's what Paul's doing here this morning in Romans 14. He's telling us that as we look at a very specific reality of church and how we live with one another, it's a target-rich environment. What do I mean by that? A target-rich environment in the sense that there are a lot of things that you and I can bring to the table that open ourselves up to be very critical of one another. We make assessments of people's walk and journey to faith. We think about ourselves in relationship to how other people are journeying, and when there's disagreements or opinions or preferences, we find ourselves moving in the flesh to a place of being judgmental. And Paul has some very strict warnings for us this morning. What he's really doing is helping us capture, and he's not just communicating to the church at Rome as a way to be preventive. So he's not just saying, hey, just FYI, in case there's ever a moment where you decide to be judgmental with one another, just don't do it. No, he's, he's saying in this very first verse, in verse 13, he's saying, stop it. <laughs> like you're doing it. You're living in the midst of a, a conflictual, opinion-laden, threat-rich um, environment, a target-rich environment where you're falling in to being overtly critical and judgmental of another brother or sister's walk with the Lord. And it's a problem. So Paul really begins to help us move towards a sense of, well, warnings, if you will, at least cautions, but I think really what ends up happening this morning as we look at Romans 14, and I, I really hope that you have your Bibles. If it's on your phone or, or uh, you brought one with you, I would invite you to open it up and look at it because I think it's one of the most uh, gazing portions of Scripture that really helps us understand how we're supposed to look at the motives of our heart and wrestle with actually how we conduct ourselves in loving one another. So here's what he says in verse 13. It says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. <laughs> We've been doing it, right? He's communicating with utter clarity that there are things that are taking place within the church at Rome where there are individuals that are thinking that they are better than someone else based on how they're seeking to honor God. And so there's this disconnect relationally between individuals in the context of the Christian church where there's divisions and assessments and wrong analysis of people's motives as they're seeking to follow Jesus Christ. And the warnings are significant. So I want to give you right up front the two main cautions that he gives us in this text. And then I want to walk through why they are as significant as they come. 
Number one tells us, don't destroy one from whom Christ died. Verse 15, as we're going to look at it in just a second, communicates that the decisions we make, the willingness and freedom that we give ourselves to be overtly critical of another person's walk in their faith can actually end up doing harm. He's going to use terms like stumbling block, that we're putting things in the way of a person pursuing Jesus, and in so doing, we're doing and have a devastating impact on someone else's walk with the Lord. And again, like Jared said last week, the categories from which he's talking about are categories that would be what we would consider non-essentials. So we're not talking about the essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the, the doctrine of scripture. We're not talking about being confused of whether or not Jesus is God or not God. All of those things have been formed and clear by scripture. We're talking about some levels of opinions and preferences. Whether or not it's better to be faithful in sending your kids to homeschool or public school. Whether or not there's some worship that's better than others. Whether we like one author above another. Whether we feel more compelled to do something a certain way versus another way. In the context of the church, those opinions have become a basis for which individuals are making an analysis of someone's faithfulness to the Lord. And what Paul is saying in Romans 14 is that we've all done it, and it's deadly. In journalism, they use a term called man bites dog story. What they mean by a man bites dog story is that so typically on the news or in journalism, you'll hear stories of a dog biting a man, but if you hear a story of a man biting a dog, it gets your attention, right? You're like, that never happens. And so they're looking for those elusive stories where you're thinking about things that you would never have expected to happen. For Paul in Romans 14, this is Paul's man bite dog story. Here's what I mean. A church that is choosing to lay down their liberties and following Jesus Christ for the sake of loving their brother seems like it is such an anomaly that we have a tendency, I have a tendency to be overtly critical of someone else's walk in the Lord when they're not doing it the way that I think that I should do it or that I would do it or that I make an analysis that maybe I'm further along than them and, and, and depending on the subject matter, I've figured it out and they haven't. That I have liberty to live my life in this way and yet in the process of those things, I am less concerned about my brother or my sister and their pursuing of Christ. What Paul would wanna say to the church at Rome and I would even say to us this morning is that how we understand and love one another actually makes a huge difference. It's a reflection of how we understand our calling to sacrificially love one another in the midst of how Christ has sacrificially loved us. I mean, one of the greatest challenges in my lifetime as a pastor over the last 20 years that I faced was COVID. <clears throat> COVID brought out, in my mind, the worst. The worst part of humanity, the worst part of church as a whole, the ability for everyone to be so polarized that you had to choose a side and you could never be right no matter what side you chose. And in the process of those things, the analysis of the character of how you made that decision was there was no openness for even dialogue. 
if you did this, you were this. If you didn't do this, you were this. And that just became something that was volcanic. The Pew Research had done research of the impact of COVID on churches. And ministers in droves have left the ministry because of what happened in COVID. I mean, it was that critical. Words and things said like, pastors should have been put in jail for closing their churches. These are things we heard on a regular basis. And so you sit there and you think, okay, something's missing. And yet, even in the midst of being judged, my desire was to judge them in return, right? I was like, well, you don't know what I'm going through. All of those things just become this place where we end up losing the very reality of what God is calling us to. Paul says in verse 15, don't destroy the one whom Christ died. What's the undercurrent, the embedded reality of what Paul is saying here? You have to know your brother well enough to know where they're at. We can't criticize from a distance. We can't choose to make an analysis of someone's motives that we're not willing to engage with. We can't decide that the reason why someone does something and not have a communication or an opportunity to converse with them and just choose to believe that the reason they're doing it is because of how we see why they're doing what they're doing. Paul is committed to Christian community. And he's committed to driving people to having those understandings of one another that they know where each other are struggling and they know what it looks like to sacrificially love and serve one another. The second main caution he gives us is don't tear down the work of God. He'll say it in verse 20 as I'll I'll read the text, but I think what he's saying is, here's what happens. When a church is so willing to be critical of one another, it actually affects their witness outside. I mean, how often have you and I heard, maybe in accurate ways, maybe in inaccurate ways, but the church just can't figure itself out. They're intolerant, they're judgmental, they're, they're, they, just don't, they can't even get their own house in order. How, how am I supposed to be a part of an experience with them when it doesn't even seem like they love one another? How the heck are they gonna love me? Those are some of the challenges and the rhetoric and the vocabulary that Paul is addressing here. But those are the warnings of what Paul is asking us to look at inside of our hearts. And the real question is, is what are our motives when we find ourselves moving to being critical or judgmental of another brother and sister? Paul uses the term, right, that all food is clean except for the person that thinks it's unclean. And so he's using this image, this understanding, this illustration that there are Jews and Gentiles, people from various different backgrounds that are now called to worship the same God together. And the Jews have a whole history of what it meant to make decisions about living in a way that honored God, and so much of it dealt with what was kosher and non-kosher, what was okay to eat and not okay to eat. Because in the Old Testament, God was very clear, there are things that it's not okay to eat because they're food sacrificed to idols. Like you're choosing to endorse the worship of a false god and you don't wanna do that. So they had food that was kosher and food that was non-kosher. Some of it had all these dietary laws. There was just restrictions that Jews were making to be faithful in their service to God. Jesus comes, everything changes, and, and Paul is very clear. Like those foods are no longer unclean. Like, it's all right 
to have bacon. Praise the Lord, right? I mean, that's kind of what he's saying. Like there's a, there's a fullness here that God has allowed freedom. But as a Gentile who didn't grow up with all of those things, they needed to look at their Jewish brother and say, look, even if this is a struggle for you, if you come over to my house for breakfast or we go out to breakfast at first watch, I won't eat bacon because I love you that much. I care enough to not just exercise my liberty. So what is Paul saying? In this text, he's saying the issue is not whether the food is kosher or not. The issue is whether your heart is kosher or not. He's telling the church. There's so often the decisions that we're making and analyzing another person's motives, our hearts aren't kosher. It's not that the food is unclean. It's that our hearts are unclean. Okay, finally to the text. Let's look at it together. We're starting again in verse 13 and going to walk through it step by step. He said, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ has died. Do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approve my man. So then let us pursue what makes peace for mutual upbuilding. So Paul is communicating that as we're framing the decisions we make, and even, let's just imagine for a moment, and, and we'll just take this last week, these last seven days. Let's imagine there was an opportunity for us to record every single thought and emotion that you had this week. Every single one of them. And then on Sunday morning, you come in, and I play it, right? Everybody sees what's going on inside. Like there is nothing that's uh, not brought to light in terms of our intentions and our motives and our thoughts. Obviously, we're able to kind of keep some of those things constrained. And so it's really difficult to know what you're thinking or what I'm thinking or what's really going on inside. What Paul is saying is that you and I as Christians have a responsibility to check our motives. And often, if we're honest, those motives are overtly judgmental. That we have an analysis of, of our perspective being more honorable to God than someone else's. We think that maybe we're, further, we're not taking our brother into account. We're considering that somehow in some way we've arrived at some space where we're more holy in our decisions than other people. We play the comparison game. And Paul says, look, that's dangerous. It's dangerous for community, it's dangerous for your walk, and it's dangerous for your brother who could potentially be putting a stumbling block in front of them, that the things that you're doing, the way that you're behaving, the things that you're saying could be having a negative impact in them pursuing Jesus. The very fundamental baseline reality of what Paul is getting at here is to say, do you care enough about your brother to know what it means to, for them to pursue Jesus Christ? Are you 
holding a reality of what they're dealing with inside that maybe, maybe they are weaker in the faith. Maybe they're holding to a strict legalism thing because they feel like it's the only way to God, honor God. Maybe they're more rigid than you are. But do you know them? Do I know them well enough to know how to help them pursue Jesus? And I don't want, ever want to put a stumbling block in front of someone else. So here are the challenging realities that exist in this text. He says, I think that we can be theologically accurate and still harm people's faith. You can be right and still be wrong. That's the challenge of this text that you can't answer for me and I can't answer for you. Because Paul has already said, look, I'm 100% confident that all meat is totally clean. Like, you are not sinning by eating bacon. You're not doing things wrong. You're not overtly sinning and doing something that the Lord has prohibited. You have liberty and freedom to do those things, but you can do those things with an attitude of an unclean heart and it be sin. If we are not taking into consideration our brothers and sisters and their journey towards Jesus and callously exercising our liberties because God has given us freedom to do such without taking into account our brother and sister, it's sin. We can be theologically accurate and still be sinning. And the difference between those things is how we perceive our brother or sister. See, again, like we said a few weeks ago, Romans 13 is kind of Paul's treatise on love. Similar to 1 Corinthians 13, he's showing us how love acts. He's showing us what love is by showing us what love does. And in the process of those things, he's continuing to expound that from Romans 14 on. How does love look? What clothes does love wear? How does love behave in the midst of a community of faith? Well, according to Romans chapter 14, it takes other people into account. It doesn't just exercise its own liberty. It communicates that the other person that is also sincerely seeking Jesus has value and is worthy for us to lay down our liberties so that we don't put anything in the way of them following Jesus. And it also keeps in very significant purview our witness to the world outside. How often is the dog bite man story about the church something that we hear frequently? Another church failed. Division broke a church apart. Another church plants because Christians couldn't get along. Those are the stories that our world is used to. Paul wants a man bites dog story here. And he's saying that if we are willing to sacrificially love one another by checking our motives before we criticize, before we move towards being judgmental about another person's decision, we're willing to see and know that other person and what they're seeking to do to honor Jesus. We value them above our opinions. I think the other challenging reality that exists in this text is we can make biblically informed decisions and still sin. We can... Do the right thing. So let's take a moment and just, just, just have one decision. Whatever that decision might be, we're, we're convinced that this is the right decision for us. And we can make that decision. Here are two things that could happen. We could make the right decisions with the right motives and it honor God. We could make the right decisions with the wrong motives and it dishonor God. And it's the same decision. 
That's the challenge of this text, is that it forces us to look inside and say, what are the reasons why you think that this is the right decision? Whatever it might be, whether it's what you wear to church, I feel like you should wear a suit and tie to church because you wanna wear your best before God. Others would say, I'm just coming as I am and God calls me to allow me to wear whatever I need to just to make my way inside this church and worship him. And, and I wanna honor God in those things. But if the guy who's really dressed up looks at the guy who's wearing a shorts and flip-flops and say, I'm better than him, it's an issue. And it's no longer about honoring God, it's about being better than your brother. Do we see where Paul's going with this? There's a sense in which he's calling the church, even our church, to a place of confession. We need to admit that we've been judgmental. We've been wrongfully critical of one another in a way that's hurt and damaged people. And in the process of those things, Paul is telling us that those are challenging realities. And so what he's telling us, what should we do? And I think the other third challenging reality is this. Building up the church doesn't mean getting everyone to think like me. <laughs> I'll just let you sit in that for a little bit. <laughs> and and I, I mean, it, I mean it as me, like I, I think that my opinions are right, of course I do, but that doesn't mean that they are. But when Paul says the decisions we make are for the mutual upbuilding of the church, what he's communicating is not that everyone agrees with what I think is important or what you think is important. What he's saying is that the upbuilding of the church is that we are all committed, even with the framework of different opinions on non-essentials, to pursuing Jesus as the sole author and perfecter of our faith. All I want as we study God's word, as we move to Bible studies on Wednesday nights, as we pray together as a church, the deepest desire for us here as a church from elders to staff to anyone in leadership is that you are moved closer to Jesus Christ. That's the decision. The worship songs we sing, the way we conduct ourselves with one another, our do we do it perfectly? No. I'm not trying to justify that every decision we make is 100% right. I'm telling you that the essence of those decisions, if you knew the motives of our heart, is that you would fall deeper in love with Jesus based on everything that we did. And sometimes falling deeper in love with Jesus means that you and I have to let go of our critical judgmental spirit. And that's the hard part. Because we wanna hang on to our opinions and our thoughts of what we think is right without listening and hearing about another person's journey and in so doing. The very things that we seek to do that we would be confident when honor God have, are done out of an unclean heart and thus don't honor God. The question in Romans 14 is, where's your heart? Where really do you stand in your understanding of God's work in your life in relationship to another brother and sister in Christ? So here's what he says in these last few verses. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything, he says, indeed is clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. I want to stop right there and just ask, because there are places and moments that I guarantee God has called you to and me to, where I would have the liberty to do what I think honors God and exercise my freedom, but I have not taken my brother into account. I'm not thinking about where they struggle and what issues they face. And so I can make a decision that in and of itself isn't sin, but the way that I make that decision is because I put it in place and I use my freedom as a, as a way to do what I think is okay 
at the expense of my brother's journey towards faith in Christ. Paul says we walk a very tight line, but we need to be willing to take others into account before we make the decisions that we think honor God. How we interact as a community with one another actually makes a big difference. Verse 22, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. And then look at how he finishes this section. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. What in God's name could he mean by that? He's saying, I think in essence, is that if we have placed our confidence, we have placed our faith and confidence, our trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross, we believe that Jesus sacrificially and willingly died on our behalf for our sins. We've done things that merit distance from God. We, we've done things that merit the punishment for our own sins. We are unclean. Jesus was clean. And yet he died on our behalf, paying the ultimate price, sacrificing his rights and abilities in heaven as the second person of the Trinity to take the form of a man, become a bondservant, and die for those who are unworthy. Jesus is that model. So that being the source of our faith and trusting that he is the one that has done all things and accomplished all things for us to be in relationship with him, there will be moments consistently where for the sake of love, God will ask you to lay down your freedoms for the sake of your brother or sister in Christ the very thing that Christ has done for you and for me. If faith isn't the material that we use to live the life that God has called us to, then we live the life not based on faith, but on flesh. We do what we want. We baptize our emotions and desires as that which is most noble. And faith isn't the centerpiece of it. And Paul says anything that isn't from faith is sin. So let me just, as I said when I first started this message, I think Paul is narrowing his focus and dealing with the church as a whole. I don't confess to even be anywhere near Paul and his ability, God has inspired him to write the truth of God's word. But as someone who has been commissioned to be a part of helping lead Park Springs Bible Church, let me suggest to you that maybe there are a few things for us specifically that God is calling us to do as a body here at Park Springs Bible Church. Number one, I would say, what I would ask us to commit to is to refuse to masquerade a judgmental heart as discernment. Here's what happens. Sometimes we can sense that we have more wisdom than someone else, and maybe, maybe that's true. Maybe certainly you or I have journeyed with the Lord for a very long time, and we have concerns about how another person is living their life or the things that they're doing or the preferences that they have in the midst of their life. <clears throat> but often what ends up taking place is that we overtly and covertly baptize a judgmental attitude and masquerade it as discernment. How would we know? Well, do we know the person well enough? Do we know their journey? Do we know what God is doing in their life to help them journey closer towards Jesus? Or are we just being critical and telling them that they're wrong? 
I think that when we think about the things that those opinions begin to surface, whether whatever they might be from homeschool to public school to COVID to whatever, we can be so convinced in our own mind that there's a right decision that we don't care about the other person who has a decision that's different than ours. So there's a commitment to refuse to masquerade a judgmental heart as discernment. Number two, a, passional, a passionate personal conviction is not the standard by which we evaluate a fellow follower's faith. That I am not suggesting that you don't have convictions because you and I need convictions. We are also passionately pursuing Jesus. But that is not the barometer that we use to evaluate whether or not someone else is as well. From, from music to parenting to decisions, whatever it might be, the real challenge before us is to wrestle with what's really going on in our hearts, that the decisions that we make can certainly be kosher, clean decisions, but in the process of how we interact with, un, with others and fellow followers of Christ, it's very possible that our hearts are non-kosher or unclean. Maybe it's very possible that our hearts are judgmental. And number three, choose love over liberty. Christian community should not be so easily discarded. This is a challenge, and as I've wrestled with this text, I, even in our home group last night, we were just trying to figure out, okay, Paul, what are, what are the applications? Like, I, I want to be sincere, and I want to put myself under the authority of this text. I want to do what you're calling me to do. I want to be faithful, and I don't, I don't want to be judgmental. I don't want to come here and suggest that I've got it figured out and you don't, because I don't think that's the case at all. I think that in my heart, I can at times be critical depending on the subject matter. That I can default to being judgmental because I think that I've got it figured out and I've analyzed your motives or someone else's motives and I've been off. I haven't had that conversation. But I think what Paul is saying here is that part of our growth as Christians, part of us pursuing Jesus is choosing to be committed to community. Like leaving the church should not be an easy decision. Just discarding the community that God has placed around us is not something that we do arbitrarily because there's another church that gives us what we want three blocks away. I'm communicating to you that community is a part of how God forms and fashions us. And being able to experiencing the rescuing grace of Jesus Christ, knowing that our hearts are prone to being critical and judgmental, the end of the day is a really good thing. That there's a sense of honoring God as we're honoring our brothers and understanding each other's journey. So let me just remind ourselves of that caution. Before we're critical and judgmental of another person's walk, would you be willing to know that other person in their walk? Rather than making the assessment that we understand what their motives are, to ask. And in the process of those things, realize that as we're committed and likely at the end of the day, we might not fully agree on specific opinions. It's okay because the deepest thing that I want for you is that your heart honors Jesus in all you say and do and mine as well. So can I come alongside in those disagreements? Can I love and communicate that I'm grateful that you're thinking clearly and intentionally about what it means to love the Lord? Absolutely, because what does Paul say at the end of Romans, 13, Romans 14? Anything that doesn't come from faith is sin. 
anything that doesn't hold Jesus as preeminent and focused in terms of the priority of what it means to love as we've been sacrificially loved by the second person of the Trinity. Anything that I could do that somehow minimizes, destroys, or diminishes my brother's walk with the Lord is something that I want to stand as far away from as possible. All we want is for you to know the rescuing grace of Jesus and grow in him. That's Romans 14. And so we take stock. Are our hearts as pure as, they think, as pure as we think they are? As I looked at Romans 14, the answer to that question for me is no. It hasn't been. I've not been as honorable for the Lord as I've wanted to be. I haven't always thought about the motives of those who've been critical of me and I've desired to be equally critical of them. I've committed the sin of being judgmental of a brother. And for that, I confess. The Lord calls us to community, to honesty and authenticity. Because anything that's not from faith is sin. Would you pray with me? God, we are grateful for a sacrificial love that is tangible. Lord, you have shown us what it means to love. Lord, the reality of what Jesus has done on our behalf has certainly freed us and invited us into an intimate relationship with you, but it also, at this point, propels us to a deeper relationship with one another. God, give us a compassionate, sacrificial, surrendering love that sees the value of a brother and sister in Christ and seeks nothing more than for them to be intimately connected with Christ and grow in him. God, give us faith that we don't have, strength that we don't have, and insight that we don't have about the motives of our own heart. We pray like David prayed in Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. God, we ask that for us as a church in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as is our rhythm on the first Sunday of each month, we are going to take time to share in communion together as a church family.